I don't know about y'all, but Christmas always makes me a bit nostalgic. Every time December hits and the weather kind of turns like it is today, I always think back to the traditions and the things that my family used to do every single Christmas. And one of those things was that every year, right around Thanksgiving, my mom would come to me and my two brothers, and she would say to us, do you have your Christmas list ready? And the answer was, of course, of course. We, ha- we make the list all year long. Of course, our list is ready. But we knew that around Thanksgiving, it's time for us to begin kind of leaving off the extraneous stuff, making sure the important stuff was at the top, because we knew every year, right around Thanksgiving, we were going to go and see Santa Claus. And so after we had our list together, my mom, she would get us dressed up. You know, when I was little, it was in a little jumper. And then I moved to sweaters and a blazer and all that kind of stuff. And we would get dressed up. And then we would drive from our house in Conyers all the way into the city. And we would go to the mall at Phipps Plaza. And we would see Santa Claus there every single year. And every single year, the ritual was very similar. We'd go, we'd sit on his lap. He would read out our list when we were very little, and then when we got older, we would read our list to him. He would ask us if we were obeying our parents, if we were brushing our teeth. A lot of times we'd have to show him our teeth, and then we'd sing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And the fun thing about it is that every year we got a picture and we got a video. And so now, one of the things Emily and I get to do and our family gets to do is to to go back and to watch those old Christmas videos and to laugh at ourselves and see what we asked Santa Claus for, what we looked like, our haircuts and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a fun thing to do. And Emily and I were watching some recently and she said, Jonathan, you have to share a clip for the church. But I didn't think y'all would want to see it because I thought y'all would want to get to lunch, you know? Uh, Do you want to see it? Okay. So she said, this is the clip you have to show them. And now Let's, let's, let's play it. Let me hold this while you get your picture made real quick, and then you can... Right up here and give me a big smile. All right. Mmm, all right. How about you now, big man? I want a gigapet or a Tamagotchi, Legos, bike gloves, a basketball, gloves, a camera, Spice Girls tape, soccer pal, football, and boxers. How about that? How about that? Santa was speechless. He just said, how about that? He didn't know what to say. And uh, we went. My brother was well into late college. And uh, in, in that video, I was in late middle school. I mean, we went every year see Santa Claus, and it was always an awesome time, and you know what? It was a great tape. I did get the Spice Girls tape that Christmas, Uh, but please, you don't ever have to bring that up. It was a great tape, Um, and uh, you know, it's fun looking back at that, laughing at everything, and the haircuts, and the lists, and how old we were, Uh, but one of the things for me I always laugh at is the date at the bottom of the videos, because you know, that one was really early in the year, and like my family was really on top of it that year. But then there are other years where you can see that it's like three days until Christmas, and we finally made it to see Santa at the mall. And I remember as a kid, you know, my mom, three boys, kind of rambunctious. She'd get us all together, get us dressed up. By the time we got in the car, it was kind of stressful, fighting traffic, going to the mall, shopping, and then going and seeing Santa Claus. It was kind of stressful, but it was one of those things that we had to do each year as a family at Christmas. 
And we all have those things in our lives, right? I mean, we all have those things that every year there are rituals or the things we do to prepare and to celebrate for Christmas. And earlier this week, I actually posted on Facebook asking people, hey, what are some things you do to prepare for Christmas? And, and some people said, hey, you know what? We watch movies. And you know what? Some people said they watch Hallmark movies. They even admitted to it. Any Hallmark movie watchers in here? I can't believe y'all. You know what? Spice Girls is one thing. Hallmark movies are another. <laughs> Um, but you know, Hallmark movies, all the classics, some people go and they see lights every year, Callaway Gardens, drive around the different neighborhoods. Um, some people, Leo Hathaway, he actually posted that he makes his grandmother's cookie recipe every year and shares in the cookies and he brought me some today. So thank you. Um, and you know, we bake, we do all of these things because for us, these are just those things that we do at Christmas. Without doing them, it doesn't really feel like Christmas. And what was interesting is on the Facebook post, everybody posted like positive things and things they love to do to prepare for Christmas. But people didn't post all of the other stuff that has to get done at Christmas. And parents, I mean, you really know about this stuff. And I, I came across this list the other day of 100 things to do before Christmas, one month before, two weeks before, one week before. And this list is very realistic and actually reflects what Christmas is like for many of us. One, it says, the number one thing, one month before, decorate the powder room with holiday towels, candles, and a soap dispenser. Who in here does that? Yes, okay, God bless y'all, okay? You know what, like that's on the list. You gotta do that. You gotta clean everything. You gotta get your hair cut. You gotta help your kids find the elf on the shelf. You gotta plan your holiday menu. You gotta go shopping. You gotta make sure you ordered this stuff on time. You gotta wrap the stuff. You have to do all this, then you have to go see Santa, get with family, then finally get all the kids together for a family photo, edit it, post it on Instagram, put the right filter on it, put the right caption to make your family look like it had a pleasant and a wonderful and a Merry Christmas, right? I mean, that's how it is for us. There's so many things to get done at Christmas. Christmas can a lot of times be kind of chaotic. But I want to let you know this morning that in the midst of all of the things we feel like we have to do or our families make us do, there are some things that are more important to do than others when it comes to preparing for Christmas during this Advent season. And our carol this morning that we're looking at in this series actually helps point us to what some of those things are. And the carol is, is the one that we just heard saying, O come, all ye faithful. It's one of my favorites. And it's an old carol or an old hymn uh, that was written in the 1740s. And originally, it was written by a man named John Francis Wade. And John Francis, he was a Roman Catholic layperson and he was a music teacher, and he actually wrote kind of beautiful handwritten musical scores. And he wrote this hymn in Latin, and for a long time, it just kind of sat there. It didn't really get sung until a hundred years later, when an Englishman, Reverend Frederick Oakley, an Anglican priest in England, he came upon it, and he, he spoke English and Latin, and so he translated it. And then people began to sing it. But when he first translated, this was the opening line. Ye faithful approach ye. It wasn't very singable. And so actually for like five years, nobody sang it. But then after some more time learning more Latin, he got a little more training and he went back to the original Latin text and he translated it again. And then he came up with the beautiful words that we have today that have been sung for a hundred years now. O come, all ye faithful. 
joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. And now in this song, it's largely based off of verse uh, Psalm 95, verse 6. And we have this. And it says this, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And if you look closely at the lyrics, which we're going to have up here, you'll see that in this song, there's a lot of commands or invitations of things that we should do. I mean, you'll see it. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. And here I bolded some of the, the important things. here. Come, behold and adore. These are just a few of the things the song highlights, but I think these things are way more important than most of the other stuff that is on our Christmas to-do list. But one of the things I love about this song is that it doesn't just simply tell us what we need to do at Christmas, although that is important to do these things. It also points us back to that very first Christmas. And it points us to what God did. Because you see, in the midst of all the holiday season and the chaos and everything, it's easy to focus on ourselves and what we need to do and our to-do list. But when we slow down and we look and we remember what God did that very first Christmas, because that's what Christmas is all about. When we begin to see what God did that very first Christmas, it helps us see what we need to do at Christmas as well. And so these lyrics, they, they point us back. They point us back to one of the things that God did. And one of the things that God did at Christmas is God came. God stepped down out of heaven and came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, right? That's what Christmas is truly all about. And we have various gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. Matthew and his account tells us this. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And that's who Jesus is. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is, as we talked about last week, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As John's gospel tells us and as the lyrics of the song tell us, Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. You see, for so many years... What humanity tried to do, what we tried to do is we tried to climb our way back up to God. In Genesis, we actually see them building a literal tower, the Tower of Babel. People trying to climb their way back to God and restore this broken relationship that we had because of sin in our lives. 
and because of the brokenness of the world. We, and so many religions still do this, right? The point is we have to try and please God or make God love us or appease God or earn his approval somehow. And for so many years, that's what people did. And God looked down and he said, no, that's not how this works. This isn't about you climbing up some ladder and trying to get to me. No, instead, the only way this world can be fixed, the only way this world can be saved is by me climbing down and coming to you. See, at Christmas, the author of the story steps into the story. God enters into this world in the person of Jesus Christ so that he can fulfill the mission which Jesus' name communicates. And Matthew tells us that Jesus' name means that he will save his people from their sins. And through Jesus, God was fulfilling all the promises that he made to his people. That very first Christmas, God came. But God didn't just come. God came as a baby and was willing to be held. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that is wild. And for a lot of people in the early church, I mean, that was kind of scandalous in the world and in the culture. But I mean, the, ver- the verse of the song, it points us to this truth. It says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. This idea that God would enter into our world as a vulnerable and helpless baby who had to be held, who had to be cared for. I mean, that was scandalous to people outside of the church. The idea that that Mary became pregnant supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit and that that was God. I mean, that, that was hard to believe because if you look at the Christmas story, I mean, it is chock full of supernatural stuff from the angels to the star to the dreams to everything going on here. It's very supernatural. So for people outside the church, it was kind of hard for people to believe, but it wasn't just hard for people to believe outside of the church. Even people inside of the church had a hard time comprehending all that God did at Christmas. And actually in the early church, people fought over what God actually did at Christmas. And there were some people, people like a man named Arius, he believed that at Christmas... God didn't really come in the flesh. Instead, Jesus came, and Jesus was created by God, and so Jesus wasn't really fully God. That's what what Arius and a lot of other people believed. But then there was a lot of other Christians, and they said, actually, no, when when we read the Bible, and when we look at the testimony of these early disciples and Jesus' own teachings, uh... We believe that he was fully God. He was God, begotten. He, well, he wasn't created. And so they began to argue, and, and finally things came to a head, and the church said, hey, you know what? Let's come together and figure this out once and for all. And so the bishops, the leaders of the church, got together at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and they began to discuss and debate what was going on. And you had people like Arius saying, you know, Jesus was not fully God God was not held as a baby. That's, that's, that's craziness. He wasn't fully divine. And you had other people saying, no, we're going to defend this and we're going to defend the faith. And the legend goes that, that things got so heated because they were trying to defend Jesus being fully God and fully human 
that somebody, a bishop, actually went and punched Arius in the face. He punched Arius in the face, and you know what? Later he was like, that was wrong. He repented. He was forgiven. But actually, the guy who punched people, his side won. Arius lost. And, and people said, since then, the church has said, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us. And actually, some of you, you've probably heard of this bishop who, legend goes, punched him in the face. Later on, he became a saint. His name is St. Nicholas. Right? Have you ever heard that story? Yeah, so that, I mean, that's the legend surrounding originally St. Nicholas. And later on, we learned that he would go and he would give generous gifts to other people. But this was so important for the church that they had to settle it. And actually, a, so, a verse in this song reflects what that council declared. And it's a verse that's not often sung in churches because it's full of deep theology. But the second verse of O Come All You Faithful actually goes like this. True God of true God. Light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. And after God entered into this world, after he came in the person of Jesus, after he was held and cared for for many years, we know the rest of the story. He grew up, right? He grew up and he called disciples to follow him. And he showed them what a life of holiness looks like. And holiness is simply loving God with all that you have and loving other people with all that you have. He showed us what that looks like here in our world. And because he adored you, he adored me, he adored the world so much, later he would willingly lay down his life to fulfill that mission which his name communicates, to save his people from their sins. He would also rise again so that we could have the opportunity to have a relationship with God, something we couldn't do on our own. Jesus came and did it for us. And the Christmas story really points us to this verse, many of you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I think when we read this verse, you could also say, for God so adored the world. Or you could personalize it. For God so adored you. For God so loved you that he came down. He came down. He grew up. He gave his life all so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And the truth is, is that God adores you today. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter if you've made a wreck of your life or if you think your life is awesome, God adores you. And he did all of these things that very first Christmas for you and for our world so that we could experience the new life that he has for us. And when we look back at these things, that God came, that God was willing to be held and vulnerable as a baby, that God adored the world so much that he would send his son Jesus. And we look back at all of those things, those really help clarify what's important for us to do at Christmas. Because once we realize that God came, now we know in response we can now come before God. 
Once we realize that, that God was willing to be held for us, we now know that we're called, as the song tells us, to behold God. Because God adored us, in response, we now adore God. And as the song invites us to do, these are very important things. I'm willing to say these are the most important things that you and I can do during this Christmas season. And the invitation that the song repeats over and over and over and over again is, Oh, come. Come. That is the repetitious line that we keep seeing. And the meaning of come is simply to approach or to move towards a particular person or place. And in the lyrics of this song, if you think about them, they're, they're kind of inviting us back to that very first Christmas into Bethlehem. They're inviting us to kind of join the shepherds, join the angels, join the wise men, and worship Jesus in Bethlehem. But the good news of Christmas is that because Jesus not just died, but he also rose again, the good news is that Jesus is alive today. And we don't have to just kind of think back and imagine coming before him in the past. We can actually come before him here and now. Because of God's grace, we have access to Jesus and he walks with us and he talks with us. He loves us and he knows our name. And there are many ways that we can come before Jesus in the midst of Christmas. But in these days leading up to Christmas, I wanna challenge you to come before Jesus in one specific way. And that is to come and to spend time with Jesus before you go and do everything else on your Christmas to-do list each day. To come before Jesus, to spend 10 to 15 minutes with him in the morning before you run in a hundred different directions in your household. Come before him, talk with him. That's what prayer is. Just simply tell him what's on your heart. Let him talk with you. Open up the scriptures. I'd encourage you during Christmas time, read the gospel of Luke. Read a chapter or two a day. Come before Jesus. Talk with him. Let him speak to you through the scripture. And I guarantee that if you begin your day coming before Jesus, that Jesus will transform your days. He's not necessarily going to make them easier or take away all the obstacles. But when you've come before Jesus and then people in your family start calling you names at the family gathering, guess what? You know who Jesus says you are. And so they don't hurt as much. When you've come before Jesus and you go out into the chaos of the world and everything going on around you, when you have the peace that he gives in your heart, you're different. If you come before Jesus each day, I guarantee he will transform that day. And so that's the first thing I want to challenge you to do is as this song says, come before him this Christmas. But then it also pushes and also says, come and behold him. And this is a word we don't use a lot anymore, behold. But behold simply means to see or to gaze upon, to look intently. And when I think about beholding, my mind thinks to return to Bethlehem. And if you've been on the journey, my mind thinks back to watching children last year and this year turn that final corner to the nativity. And when you see a child turn that final corner, they don't exactly know where the nativity is. They, it was almost like they weren't expecting it. They weren't sure it was right there. And when they get to the nativity, they behold Jesus. 
especially those kids who are like three to five years old. They're staring at the baby Jesus, beholding him. And you know their mind is just racing with questions. They're thinking, is that a real baby out here in the cold? It's not this year. Maybe one of y'all will have a baby next year and loan them. But they're thinking, is this a real baby? They're also thinking, is this really Jesus? And their minds are wondering. They're, they're gazing upon Jesus. They're beholding him. And then our guides are like, okay, move along. We got to go. We got to go, right? We got to get another group through. But I love watching those children focus upon Jesus and really behold him and reflect on who he is. And this week on Thursday, you know, my mom was racing with stuff for Return to Bethlehem and, and Christmas. And if you didn't know, churches can get chaotic around Christmas time, lots of stuff going on. But I was coming before Jesus in my time of personal devotion. And the devotional I'm doing right now, it, it actually asks me to begin. It's kind of like a, a formalized devotional. It says, begin with two minutes of silence, which is terribly difficult for me. Two minutes of silence and being still before God. And during that devotional time, I, I felt like God say to me, do you think you would have stopped? I felt like God said to me, do you think you would have stopped if you were in Bethlehem? Or would you have just run on past the manger, getting your to-do list done? And it was a rhetorical question because God knew the answer and I knew the answer. Probably not. I get focused on a lot of the stuff that's right in front of me. But to behold somebody, to behold Jesus, you have to slow down. You have to slow down and you have to really reflect on who he is, what he's done for us, how he's still at work in the world today. And then part of beholding Jesus is looking at how we can join him in his work in the world today. And that brings us to the final thing that the song talks about. This invitation to come and to adore Jesus. And when I think of adoring Jesus, I think, you know, of, of giving him gifts. I think back to the wise men and the magi bringing those precious gifts in adoration, kneeling before him. But then I'm also reminded of the prophet Micah, who we looked at last week, who foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And soon after that, in writing, Micah kind of talks about what adoration of Jesus looks like. And he says this in chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And it implies that all of those things just mentioned are not what are required of us. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And Micah tells us here that adoring Jesus, it's about more than giving gifts 
and singing songs. It's not less than that. But he says it's about more than that. It's about acting justly, working for justice, loving mercy, showing mercy to other people, and walking humbly with God. Really, adoring Jesus means adoring the people that Jesus adores. And you saw in that video, I was in about the eighth grade there. And around that time, in those years of my life, I began getting involved with uh, the church youth group at my, my home church in Conyers. And we would do, you know, the fun things every Christmas. We'd do a gift exchange. We'd, we'd do holiday photos, parties, all that kind of stuff. But there's one thing I remember doing that really made an impact on me around Christmas. Our church would organize and collect Christmas toys for kids at Lakeview Estates, which was a mobile home community in Rockdale County, one of the largest in the southeast. A majority of people there live in poverty. But every year, our church would partner with DFACs, other organizations. We'd get together gifts, and then the youth group, we would go on December 23rd, sometimes on December 24th, and we would go to each person's house, and we would knock on the door, and we would deliver these gifts. And it was awesome seeing the, the tears on people's faces, seeing the joy, being a literal answer to their prayers, to see God at work in that way. But what was more profound than that experience was the reality that after we left at Christmas, other people from our church kept working all year long. One group of people would come to the community center there and they would teach literacy classes to children and adults who couldn't read. They would teach English classes to people who, who didn't speak English. They would give rides to people in this community who didn't have reliable transportation. They would give them rides to our church. They would give them rides to and from work. People in our church fought against monopolies that were controlling the cost of utilities and, and jacking them way up so that their utilities were way higher than everybody else in the community. I saw people in my church family acting justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with God. I saw them adoring Jesus as they adored the people that Jesus adored. This year, some things are more important than others. And I don't want you to miss it because when Jesus arrives, things begin to change. And as Jesus arrives once again in our hearts and lives this Christmas, my hope and my prayer for you is that Jesus would transform you. He would transform your to-do list. He would transform us as a church. And in turn, he would transform our community. So let's ask God to make that so. God, we thank you for your love. And we acknowledge that we only love you because you first loved us. And so God, we thank you for coming into this world as a vulnerable child, 
for growing up, for adoring us so much that you would go to the cross for us. God, we thank you for rising again from the dead, climbing down and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God, thank you for saving us and for salvation and for forgiveness, for new life. God, this Advent, as we light these candles each week, we're celebrating hope, peace, joy, and love. And we thank you for all of those gifts in our lives. And we ask that you would pour them out. And God, in response to receiving all of those things, we pray this Christmas that we would slow down, that we would come before you, that we would behold you, and that we would adore you as you have adored us. And God, that we would show your love to our community and to beyond. God, we thank you for the transformation that happened that very first Christmas. And we ask that that transformation would continue in us today. We ask all of these things in your son, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.